Lucky Land slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mouth Off, a platform for marginalized groups to get their voices heard. Episodes cover a wide range of topics from sexuality and religion to disability and inequality. My name is Clary Sadler, and on today's episode, I'm continuing with part two of my interview. With actor, musician, comedian, and songwriter David F. Grave. I think the therapeutic power of music is undeniable, isn't it, though? Yeah. You know, even if you are, I don't know, choosing a song, a sad song maybe, to put on to wallow in the mood that you're already in, or if you put on something upbeat and cheesy to make you feel happy and to pick you up, like steps or something, not that I would put on that. Might be committing murder or something (laughs) if I put on that. It's like Glenn, again, trying to educate him. You know, he was genuinely a big fan of the Spice Girls. And he just like... And there was one time when he was trying to justify to me because he bought Teletubbies Say Eto, the the single. And you go, to buy that, you were older than the age you should have bought that. There was one time when it was playing and he was trying to say, no, there's, there's just a bit I like in it. And then he caught himself in the ridiculousness of it. But it's true. I mean, music is a shortcut, isn't it, to emotions. I mean, that's why it's used so heavily in film and in telly. Um, it takes you somewhere very quickly that nothing else does. And... I've found as well, because doing a lot of shows uh, that are acting musician stuff that centre around music, just about any song that comes on, you know, I go, oh, I was, I did that in the Holland tour, we played that, or, you know, oh, that's, you know, Buddy or whatever comes back again. And it takes you straight away to those places. Um, and I've definitely found it's funny as well, because I, I, I guess you tire of music less quickly than you tire of anything else, because I never... I think if you're doing a play, if you're doing stand-up, you can get a bit tired of the material. When I did the Buddy Holly show, because I grew up listening to Buddy Holly, and when I did um, various other things like that, I never lost the love for the music. I I never, ever, um, you know, took it for granted. Because also I think it's like a privilege to be able to play those people in those things. In fact, I remember one particular time. Again, this is the sort of slightly crass, sort of laddie laddie nature of like touring. One of the guys in the buddy show one day i came in the sound check and they'd stuck on the mic um a picture of the 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 plane crash a picture of the outcome of the plane crash like some sort of you know like that's a funny joke and i was like you know thank you for that and there used to be a line in it that they used to make a joke about you know oh i don't fly anymore and i refuse i refused to do that joke because i was like now hang on a minute you know this person died in a really extreme circumstance and also it's something that i can really empathize with because the whole reason he got that plane was he was in a nightmare tour he wanted to get to the next place do some washing and sort himself out for the next one and he was only 22 when he died and here we are still like 50 60 years later still playing his music and i you know i don't see that's just it's not even funny i mean that's that's the that's the point of it it's not it's not funny it's not uh the irony being that this person has played buddy holly in the buddy holly story um so and it's very much centered their life around that now and every time i see it i think god you did that that's not that's not 
you know, I, I used to do a thing when I was doing that, you know, you, in some of the places we played, he played himself, you know, he did the UK tour. So you're like, what's like a, you know, <laughs> that's a complete brain yeah. melt. You go, he was in this place himself doing a tour. You know, he never thought that like 50 <laughs> years later, someone else would be pretending to be him in the same place. But I'd always have like a, a little moment before I go on. It's like getting into character where I'd sort of talk to myself in the accent or whatever. And I'd always sort of check in and sort of say hello and sort of nod to it because... Yeah, it's a privilege. These are, and and I don't think you should ever um, be so crass about it. But yeah, this is the thing about music. It, it it touches you in a way that nothing else does. Really, truly does. You know, and songs that I've played hundreds of thousands of times or heard so many times, they still, when I hear them, bring joy. You know, they still, they I still appreciate that. I've never got never got tired of it. And yeah, that's the, that's the sort of power of music. Music takes you somewhere that nothing else does. Uh, this first song I wrote when I was about 16. Uh, it's called Shit Happens, because uh, I was a very sweary child. Um, and uh, this song is in a waltz timing, so if you, uh, if you do feel the need to dance, please don't, because it's awkward. It's just very, very awkward. <laughs> you know, your white middle classes struggle to even clap on the offbeat, let's be honest. <laughs> so, this is called Shit Happens. Here we go.
We spoke earlier, actually off air, before we started recording. We've both lost our fathers fairly recently, within the last year. And the lockdown had just happened when my dad was transferred to a hospice. And while he was there, obviously it was on lockdown, so I couldn't go and see him. So I asked him to uh, give me a list of songs, basically, that he wanted me to play. You know, just a song a day. Um, I can't remember. He gave me a few weeks' worth, and one of them being Buddy Holly, True Love Ways. I'll play a clip of that lockdown recording here. Please do excuse the saw you can hear in the background. Just you know why Why you and I sunny weather and my mother was there visiting so they were allowing one visitor during lockdown and she played it to him I, I sent the video apparently just had his eyes closed you know singing along just loving it so even the situation he was in and what was around the corner the power of music just to take him out of that for you know three minutes or, or however long and I had one more song to do it was a Marrakesh Express and I didn't do it because I kind of, in my head, had made this association. Once I do that final song, you know, that's it. And I ended up uh, recording it after he'd already passed away and just sharing it online just as a sort of tribute to him. I'll just play a clip of it here now. Find. Hope the days that lie ahead 
Bring us back to where they've led. Listen not to what's been said to you. Would you know if I did on the Marrakesh Express? Would you know if I did on the Marrakesh Express? They're taking me to Marrakesh. All of It was therapeutic, as we just said. I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, if I'm in a dark place, I don't seek music to lift me out of it. Sometimes I, I may want a feel-good song, but I quite like... I don't know if like's the right word. I almost want to wallow in it. I want to find something that suits my dark state of mind or if I'm feeling you know, heartbroken or if I'm you know, depressed about something... I want that experience. I want to feel it to all, you know, all my capability. Yeah, well, that's the mindfulness thing, isn't it? That's the thing about, I was saying about meditation, you know, life has all of those moments, but if you're pushing against it, you're not experiencing it. And to experience it and, be, and even acknowledge it takes some of the um, pain away a little bit, I think. Um, and so, I mean, the Buddy Holly thing for me, because my dad, the first record he um, bought was Raining in My Heart as a single and, and and in the house where I am now you know I used to it used to have the record the single and I played it on a record player here and it was the song that we played at the funeral um as we took him out and because that had so many so so many um I don't know crossovers with things in our life you know the fact that he grew up listening to that the fact that he loved coming to see the Buddy Holly show how much he loved all of those things and yeah so and also raining in my heart we had um at my wedding as well was played as we came in so it's such a powerful thing and there is nothing wrong with feeling something you know and and accepting that feeling and again you listen to true love ways i don't know if you've heard, you must have heard you know the, the full take when you've got the chat before it have you heard that yeah yeah you know where it's okay charlie and he clears his throat and sings a song and because he's just sang it live with an orchestra which is ridiculous because it's perfect and I love hearing that because it's like you're in the room, you're in the studio. It's just a you know a young guy doing his thing. I mean, the fact that he was 22 when he died is utterly crazy because he did so much in such a short. His career was about a year and a half, two years, and he was he predated the Beatles in the yeah. You know, when he was living in New York, when he was writing the songs he was writing in New York, he was trying to set up a record company, a bit like the Beatles with Apple. He was and he was doing gospel stuff and he was doing this sort of orchestral stuff as well. He was really looking to grow as an artist, but he was 22, you know, it's, it's crazy. 
But it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful songs. They never stop being beautiful. The subtlety in which my dad can drop something terrifying into conversation is truly astounding, okay? I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, both myself and my dad were standing in the hallway of my flat, staring into my airing cupboard. Yeah, we had very little to say to each other. <laughs> but my dad walked up to it, looked at the big bit of solid material that screwed to the inside of the door, gave it a tap and went, yeah, it's probably asbestos. <laughs> It would come to one of those shots where the person stays centre of frame and the background just zooms out. <laughs> if my face were animated by Terry Gilliam, it could happen, it could happen. My bottom jaw would have just disengaged completely. <laughs> Ten years I've been living in that flat. Ten years, and all that time I had absolutely no idea. My cupboard was giving me cancer. <laughs> just think of all the times that innocently hung my towels up in there to dry. And then got up the following morning, just rubbed my face in. <laughs> really rubbed it in, really got it in there. Not just my towels, every item of clothing and bed sheets in my house has rested against the inside of that door at some point. I might as well have broken into a factory built in the mid 50s, dislodged some lagging from the roof, just rolled myself up. Different artist or a particular artist, but there's something that it affected you, I guess, on a cathartic level. So, again, like we just said, I don't necessarily mean a song that lifts you when you're feeling down or anything like that. It's it just a song that has a profound effect on your psyche in some way. Have you picked five songs and could you tell us what they are? Yeah, I have. And I mean, because we've over the last, I don't know, year or so, uh, <laughs> been sort of in, indulging in a sort of Paul McCartney chat yeah, back and forth. by it? Twitter. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, which is a sort of funny thing, because, I mean, he's um, such a big influence on me still always has been uh like the paul daniels thing it always seems to be paul it's a weird <laughs> thing there's paul daniels there's paul mccartney i know there's I know there's another one i can't think of the top of my head who it is but yeah he's the reason i picked up a guitar in the first place and he's 78 now it turned the other day and he's still doing what he does and maintaining that sense of magic so yeah, so because we've been doing this sort of back and forth and you've been getting more into like the wings stuff and because I know all that stuff as well, I've gone, we've gone for a Macca list today. And I could have, you know, there are other songs I could have gone with like Vincent, you know, the Don McLean thing or Dylan stuff. There's various other things I thought. But yeah, the Macca thing, I've got five songs and they're all quite, well, I said most of them are quite obscure. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you why I chose them all? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, one of them, uh, Your Loving Flame. And so I sat down at this grand and was looking out the window. And uh, this song I'll play you now, it's, uh, I'm only just kind of finishing it up. Uh, this one came to me in about an hour or so, in the words and the music. Now see if you can remember it. specifically gone for the live version of this and there's kind of a reason for that there's something i mean there's a weird thing and i and it's a bit like you know like trying to justify the comedians that we've been saying there's a thing with paul mccartney and it is utterly ridiculous really but you kind of feel like you have to justify something about him he gets a bad press he does he gets a bad press for keeping going and i think part of this is because you know, we're in a weird situation now where we're not used to seeing these people grow old. You know, and Buddy Holly's a case in point. You know, he died before he had a chance to grow old. There's the, you know, the 27 thing, all the people who died at the age of 27. Yeah. You know, and Jet, John Lennon died when he was 40, and that was so, so very young. 
just to remind ourselves because we're around that time now. But yeah, <laughs> Mac, you know, Mac is nearly twice that age. Now. Um, and he does, yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I think uh, maybe to a degree he doesn't help himself now because I think his set is so Beatles heavy these days. And while he's had a fantastic voice for so, so many years and like what he does, he plays for nearly three hours. It's kind of extraordinary. I do think now it's getting a little bit tired live and because he's singing songs he wrote in his 20s and I wish he would play the songs that he wrote now because they suit his voice now and where he is as an artist and Your Loving Flame I mean it was written around the time he got together with Heather so that's a bit unfortunate but um, I remember hearing it he played it on Parkinson when he did his interview on that and it was a song he was working on at the time and I'll just show you it and there was uh, Dave Gilmore there on guitar from Pink Floyd because that's just you know who Paul McCartney has around and he played this song and it's full of love and it's full of sort of um, it's very honest. And and also when he did it live, um, he does this thing live. And it's a bit hard for him now because he's getting a little bit older. He just plays with the song. He never stops playing with the song. And there is something about his voice, um, which links to another song I talk about, which is kind of it's very like, um, I don't know, it's like a little bit of home. There's something so very sort of genuine in it. that I can't really explain. And your Loving Flame is kind of an example of that. And and when you watch, there's a video, music video for the song, which is quite sort of powerful. He's like pushing against the sort of um, wind and, and like trying to fight it to get to this place. And I see a man, you know, who's getting older, who lost his wife that he loves so very much, Linda, trying to build a new love and a new life. And it, yeah, there's something about it. I don't know. It just gets me in the soul. There's something really, really pretty about it. And that first time when he played it on this Parkinson thing, for example... There was a bit of me, again, who's like slightly anxious when this person that I love so much is doing television things going, oh, you know, don't play to the things. That... And he played this song and it was so beautiful. And it's like, yep, still got it. He's still got it. That's what that song does to me. And it's just a very honest, very true uh, song that was obviously written as he was getting over the loss of the death of Linda and being allowed to move on. I think that's what it's about. And that's why it touches me. And I prefer the live version because the studio version's a bit too nice it doesn't quite have the passion that the live one does yeah and isn't that on the uh driving rain album is it that uh yes that's right yeah yeah i mean i love that album but there's something about his vocals on that album you know that mm-hmm. are not quite up to his normal standard and you kind of think well maybe he's getting into his old man voice no. but then he yeah, yeah. albums he released after that or the 2005 album chaos and creation yeah, for yeah. Example. yeah. You know, he's got fantastic vocals, you know, so whether he was just kind of having a bit of an off week or something. Or... Well, he literally had a cold. He lost his voice. He lost his voice in the weeks prior to it, but he still did the dates. And that, you know, I do love the sort of slightly iconoclastic part of him that goes, I don't care. I'll, I'll just, just do, do it, it anyway. yeah. But, yeah, but I wish he hadn't really because, yeah, his voice is is better than that, as is shown if you watch the Yeah, if you watch live. the live version, yeah. And, and, you know, I went to see that gig and it was around the time um, I was playing Paul McCartney, ridiculously. We had a week off and he was playing in Sheffield. And then we went there and then the date was cancelled because he had a sore throat. So we're literally standing in the queue and they go, this time it's going to be cancelled. Like, oh. But I went back with this this guy a few when they rescheduled it. It was in the show, Richard Doubleday, and he's a huge Beatles fan and he'd never seen McCartney before. And it was just an, ama- it was an amazing tour. It was just his sort of renaissance, really. It was in brilliant voice. And he sang that song. And it because it was a song that had connected with me a few years earlier... I don't know, there's something very special about it. It's a bit like when he plays Let It Be. When those opening chords play and that voice hits, it's like, oh, can I deal with this? Because <laughs> it's the things I've heard since childhood. It's it's the fact that he's still going. And, and sometimes when you see these things, 
you're very aware of the frailty of someone. And in fact, all of the songs I've chosen here, or most of them, I think expose a bit more frailty, a bit more age to it. Yeah. And I like that because it's a bit bittersweet. I, I like hearing it, but at the same time, I'm contemplating, as we all are, mortality, but mortality of someone that I love very much for the things that he's inspired in me. And, and when he goes, it'll be a, a big part of the, that whole story just gone, you know. Um, that wasn't really, I don't think, in a way respected enough, even though the Beatles are so huge and obviously they still seem to be the most successful band. In a weird way, I think him as a songwriter, as an artist, and and even beyond the Beatles, is kind of underrated because they go on about those first few years and they are amazing. You know, Eleanor Rigby, all these sort of things. But there's so much there, he just never stops. And like, you know, us talking about how to write songs when you can't, when you haven't got anything, this guy has been doing it for 50, 60 years, something still comes out. And half the time it's something really special, which is insane. You know, I, I kind of love him and I hate him. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. How dare yeah. he be so good. Exactly. <laughs> All these years later, I know. He's so yeah. good at writing a universal, relatable yeah. song. that Because he can churn them out like like anyone, you know, and he knows he can. It doesn't just appeal to... I suppose the the Beatles fans and the people that like the whole rock and roll era, you know, they're universal themes and, they, you know, there are a lot of love songs and by God, can he write a good ballad? And th- why should we not be interested in an artist growing older? It's like if you watch, um, you know, Johnny Cash doing Hurt, um, you, what have you seen? You know, it's it is out of this world so affecting the video is so affecting why should we just care about people when they're like young and you know full of vitality why can't we care about when they talk about what it's like to get older or have a family or all those things it doesn't it doesn't become less interesting you know and 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 yeah that's that's why I, I there is so much I mean this is the weird thing Macca gets a really hard press with the public I think generally but then if you actually look at it and go his last however many albums I mean since like sort of 2000 or like just before that they've all been really most of them have been really well received really good reviews lots of good songs it's like he can't beat this cliche of him um, and i don't think he helps it by playing maybe too many beatles songs but then if you're one of the beatles why wouldn't you so you know who am i to judge <laughs> funnily enough my mum uh, would love to see paul mccartney he's on her wish list uh, she hasn't seen him yet mm. <laughs> Interestingly, him and Barbara Streisand are on her <laughs> wish list. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, not not together. No, <laughs> that would be a weird one. You don't bring me flowers. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. as much as she admires him and, you know, he's number one on her male singer wish list, I think she would have issue with going to see a tour and him playing new material and not mm. playing the sort of legacy Beatles material and the, the big hits of Wings and... You know, all those sort of yeah. big solo numbers. Well, the, and the weird she just thing wants is, to hear the hits. I think she'd take issue with it. Sorry. I, I was just going to say the weird thing is like, you know, again, when he was younger, when the Beatles split up, when he started Wings, you know, this, and this is why I sort of love him so much, I think. He hired a van. They got in it. They had no gigs booked. This is like 1972 or something. They just drove to the nearest universities. You know, the, the driver went in and said we've got Paul McCartney in the van, would you it'd be all right to play a gig? And obviously they went, yes. And, you know, and, and he played all these little gigs just turning up because he was, you know, suddenly getting together a new band in the limelight. 
and so and there were obviously there were no Beatles songs. I say obviously there were no Beatles songs. It took quite a while for him to get to them. And then I and so it's kind of the opposite of what it used to be. But then I think that's a sign of age. I think you know there came a point in the nineties or whatever when he came back because he sort of went very quiet. You know, after John died, really, in terms of gigging, and suddenly, you know, it was like this sort of um, what's the word? Uh, you know, when you get into sort of a retro sort of a nostalgia thing. He started playing the the Beatles songs, but I guess yeah. It, it, what do you do? I mean, you see it, and he says about himself when you go to his gigs, the big stadium things, the the lights sort of go. You know, the 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 holding up the phone when he plays the song from the new album. That must be so frustrating as well, because when an artist releases a new album, they tour it. That is usually what the tour is. So you would expect to be going to see material that you'd never heard before. I mean, for me, that's part of the fun. Well, yeah, and also it's like, well, he wrote the other songs anyway, so he's only, why would he not? They're all from the same, like, pool. That's the ridiculous thing. And I mean, I, I know I've been a bit, I've been a bit overly lucky with seeing Macca, particularly when I know you haven't, because amongst the times I've seen him, there was the time when I won tickets to see him doing um, a Made of Elle Studios session, um, and it just came through Twitter. I think I just said, and, and I took my friend Cluedo, who was the guy who played John Lennon when I did the Robson story. Um, I sort of, you know, I won the tickets, and it was the day before, and I just texted him and said, "Do you want to go and see Paul McCartney?" I've got, the, and he was like, "What? Are you serious?" He's, he's about ten years older than me. When he um, arrived when we met in like a cafe he was like I'm like a, I'm like an excited kid I don't know what to do with myself I'm going to see you know and it was amazing because I mean we were right at the front and it was a tiny you know there's about 70 to 100 people in the room <laughs> and he walks out and it's and, you know and you're catching his eye and there's something I don't know yeah it's it's incredible it's incredible and then I also saw him at the roundhouse as well which was another sort of magical one and I met him which was the the most that was that's the most Oh, you know, I, that that it's very difficult when you meet someone that you, that you you know you love so much. But what do you say? And this is the thing like we interviewed Kate Robbins recently, and she's his um, cousin, and she said about you know the first thing everyone says to him is like, well, thank you for the music or whatever. And this is a guy who's had to listen to that for sixty years, but he's still he's like, oh, thank you. You know, he's, he's very sort of genuine. Yeah, and when I met him, because um, I knew where his offices were in London, I used to sort of hang around there. Um, when I had castings and stuff, you know, near Soho Square. And then when he came out of his office, I was like, well, I'm going to have to go and say hello. I know I've told you the story before. And it's so bizarre, because, and this is literally the person that's the reason I do what I do, really. And he was crossing the road talking to his uh, roadie. He's going, oh, where the hell were you? You know, it's, it's, it's him, it's the voice, it's that sing-song scouse voice. And I, was like, I, was, and I stopped him and said, oh, sorry, sorry, Paul, just want to say, you know, again, he said that line pretty much to Kate Robinson, you know, you've been... Your music's, you know, meant so much to me. He's oh, thank you. Um, and I said, oh, and I played you in a show. Um, and then there was like a moment when he looked me up and down like, you look nothing like me, <laughs> you know. But he was like, oh, that, you know, that's cool, that's good. Um, and you just, yeah, it's just such a... And you shake his hand, you know, and I, I'm, I'm quite... I mean, I've met, like, through the comedy club, I've met a lot of people that, you know, I've met a lot of people that I really admire. But there's this weird thing with someone like that He's someone that has to embrace the fact that he's a part of popular culture history. He's already seen what's happened to John in terms of the sort of level of it. But he's a part of, you know, he's in history books. He's part of that thing. So there's something very bizarre when you meet someone like that and you have all the things in your head of like, oh, when they did All You Need Is Love, the Our World thing in the 60s or they're stepping off the plane at JFK to America or he's, you know, on the roof and I'm shaking the hand. I'm going, that's the hand that played those songs, that wrote those songs, that met eyes with John Lennon across the room and wrote a song together. And you can't really fathom it, you know. Um, 
but there is he's very kind and he's very nice and he's remained sort of humble and then i met him there another time and then there was a thing i read an article about um sorry i've gone off on one about this now i read an article about how when he's at soho square he says you know he often likes to just sit at sit in the window and look out watch people having their lunch in the square and one time i was there with my wife and we saw him looking out the window and it's just it's, there's 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 Paul you know and because he's such a you know whatever the hard press he gets he's such a sort of iconic person so distinctive it just you can't really fathom that's a person who will live on who wrote so many songs that are just in our DNA you know the Beatles stuff none of them were 30 when they split up I always say that I can't believe George was 26 I think 20, when they split up I mean, for God's sake, it's so it's so ridiculous. But I love the fact that he's never stopped. He's never stopped writing, never stopped going, and that he's still finding the magic and loving it. And you could see that when you see him at Maida Vale and he's just enjoying playing a gig in front of people, you know. And again, the gig was at about 10 in the morning and he was still singing those ridiculously high songs. And he still did it, still managed it. It's amazing, really. It is amazing. And as a singer and a songwriter, it's funny because I go through the admiring him and hating him <laughs> yeah. in equal measures, hating him for being so good, obviously. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that brings us to our second song choice, which is actually from his latest album, Egypt Station. Do you want to introduce yes. it? that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do it now. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, he does this every time. Every album, there will be one or two songs, and there's one I nearly put in, which I know you like as well, uh, this never happened before, where where you go, it, it gets you right in the heart. There's just some, there's you know, it's just, and it's a beautiful melody, and you just, yeah. And I think, uh, as has been said by a number of people who are talking to McCartney, I think his most recent album, um, he's embraced a bit more his voice now and the older man that he is. Got the time, the inclination. I have answered your invitation. I'll be leaving in the morning. Watch me go. I don't know where the wind is blowing. Got directions to where I'm going. Nothing certain. That's the only thing I know. this song but there are some lines in it and again it's linked to this frailty thing um what's it says um uh, i'll be leaving tomorrow watch me go it's one of the things he says yeah there's a real vulnerability in that song and, and, and you know it's very poignant as well like that line if you leave it too late it could all disappear do it now while your vision is clear just gets you there doesn't it oh it is isn't it because you it, it links again to I, well, for me, anyway, him being the age that he is, I, and also 
uh, again, another beautiful line, nothing's certain, that's the only thing I know. You know, the only thing he's learned in life is that nothing is certain. And also, if you know as well, do it now was apparently the thing his dad used to say to him. That was his like line to him, do it now, you know. And again, that really means a lot to me because it's that thing I was saying about not hesitating, just going for a thing, not questioning whether you can do it or not, you know. that And, yeah, so all of that combined, beautiful melody, sort of shades of Beach Boys pet sounds going on there. Yeah, the song is, you know, simple yet effective. It mm. starts out quite understated, but I do love that, that mm. moment where the bridge kicks in. And yeah. that do-do-do part, where it sounds almost Beach Boys-esque, like you said. And I do like the instrumentation, you know, the harpsichord, the harmonium. And then there's a bit at the end with the cello, but right at the end, that's just so beautiful. And, and this is the thing, whether he's older or not, it's still the same voice. And that's what I mean about when you go to see him and when he goes in to Let It Be or something. It's an emotional thing because it's the same voice. And I know their band have talked about that, you know, when they first, like Wick, the keyboard player, says, you know, there is nothing quite like when you play those songs for the first time with the right voice. You know, it's just, yeah. And, and that's, it's still there as an old man and, and, and it hasn't gone. It hasn't gone yet, thank God. And I think we should, Im- I don't understand. It's like when he played the Olympics, he got a really hard... A sort of review on that and partly because you had all that amazing uh you know the the opening ceremony and then you have the bit where all the the, all the countries come out and they list every single one and then he played so it's like you've just spent about an hour watching them all come out but but and i don't really understand what it was but for me because it was amazing because then they did that and it just went to a close-up on his hand and it was playing the end, and in the end, the love you take, you know, and you go, if you're going to have, you know, a UK, a, a British Olympics opening ceremony, you do end it with the song, the end, played by the guy who's, you know, and the voice, and it was just like, it was amazing. And, and then he sang Hey Jude, which is the song you do, because it doesn't matter what language you're speaking, it's just that big mass sing-along. And people, I think... People got a bit of fatigue, I think, because he started doing a lot of, like, you know, Queen's Jubilee and stuff. So go, oh, Paul McCartney. And how about you go, this guy's still here. Should we enjoy him while he's still here? I have this like, the thing I said about Paul Daniels. Are we laughing with him or at him? No, we're going to watch someone who is better at what he does than probably we are show us how incredible he is. I went to see Bruce Forsyth, of all people, doing his one-man show a couple of years before he died. And, and, and he was just the most exceptionally talented guy all around her. And it was emotional. It was a beautiful, you know, and you, and yeah, you've got to enjoy these things. So yeah, how about we go, this guy's still with us. Let's enjoy it and do it now. The fact that he can still write something like that, that manages to be affecting, manages to be encouraging, manages to um, acknowledge, as I say, that, you know, I'll be leaving tomorrow, watch me go. I don't even know what it is about that and about his voice. It just, I don't know, obviously it's the same for you. just gets you in the heart. It's just... And it's a song he wrote, like, last year or something, for God's sake. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I've got a lot of time for Paul McCartney and he's done some phenomenal things in music, you know, revolutionised music. Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. You know, not just the Beatles stuff, because, I mean, the Beatles, almost like, you know, they're they're an invisible band. You don't even have to mention them because, like, of course you're going to love the Beatles. Of course, I don't even have to mention that. Whereas sort of, you know, exploring more of the... McCartney stuff and particularly as we've been talking over Twitter for the last sort of year year and a half you know you 
pointing me in the direction of hidden little gems or maybe albums that I wasn't yeah. as familiar with. And when I've yeah. spoken to people about this, you, you almost find yourself, as you said earlier, kind of justifying why <laughs> why no, you like him. And yeah, yeah, I know. At the end of the day, if you kind of have to do that, nothing that you, you say is going to change their mind. <laughs> they've decided you know i don't like him he's a prat and and you know and i I do agree (laughs) you know he can he can be cringeworthy everyone can he's a human being you know and i yeah it's i don't know i think that's the sort of daily mail quick to judge mentality that we live in quite a lot people go oh this is what i think about this person there's a guy i know who's a, a like theater producer we very nearly wrote a beatles show together and at one time we were doing a show in eastbourne and it was around the time, it must have been around the time Chaos and Creation came out, which is just a beautiful album, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. And like I was telling him about it and like the song Jenny Wren, for example, that's on it, which is like Blackbird. And, yeah. But in a, not in like a, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's a song in the same vein, but it's a really beautiful song. In fact, I hadn't mentioned Blackbird. I was talking about Jenny Wren. And he said, well, it hasn't got a Blackbird on it yet, though, has it? And I was thinking... Well, no, but he did write Blackbird too. If we're going to go down that route, you know. So you're just it, the other thing people they do with Tim Henman. This is running joke about Tim Henman. Oh, he was a terrible tennis player. He got further than any like English tennis tennis player for years. And and people who don't play tennis are going, oh, Tim Henman, he's rubbish. It's like, well, you you know, it's the same thing. You just go, how about you just stop Flawed, judging? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Why? And again, by comparing to what he did before and going, oh, he hasn't got a blackbird on it. Well, he already wrote that. Have you written that? No. So, yeah, it, it's a shame you have to sort of feel like you have to justify the things you like in life. And I think maybe as you get a little bit older, you have to start going, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to justify it because I do like it. I embrace even the, the stuff that is a bit cheesy as well because it, it's still got something to like in it, I think. You don't have... It's funny, like you, you saying, and I remember you showed me a video... Um, of um, I forgot his name. Uh, Jane, uh, the lead singer of the Manics. I should know this. Talking to you of all people, James uh, Dean Bradfield. Bradfield. Yeah, but talking about how Pipes of Peace was his favourite Macca album. That's one yeah. of the most derided albums of his there is. But it's an insight that you go, well, no. If you stop judging and you just go, okay, this is an artist I know wrote all those great songs. Let's hear him do something else. You know, he is effortless with melody. He's always been effortless with melody. And even in the crap uh, stuff, there's something to enjoy. Certainly his voice, which for years uh, was exceptional and still is for his age. Definitely. For a man who's nearly 80, for God's sake, he still (laughs) plays for three hours. Plays for nearly three hours. Doesn't have a drink of water. He's nearly 80. But he's got so much energy. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible, you know. Most of the people who judge him are probably half his age and couldn't do any of that. Exactly, exactly. Well, speaking about that unbelievably good voice, um, your third song choice, I I particularly like his vocals on, if you want to introduce that. Yeah, With A Little Luck. Uh, And we're specifically going, God, I'm so um, niche, the the album version, because it's the full version. Just 
And yeah, I, I know you and I are sort of in agreement about this. And we're going to really, all the people who aren't interested in this level of niche McCartney knowledge will probably be switching off now. But 1978, 79, end of Wings, his voice was just great. It was just like sort of gravelly, but in control, could do many different things. And with a little luck, it's so uplifting that the last minute of it where he's just belting out what he can do with this just beautiful voice, uh, you know, that can just sort of hit anything, it seems. It's just so encouraging. It's energising. I often, when I listen to it, skip back a minute and listen to that last minute again because yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. I just think it's so... It's a man who's absolutely at the peak of his powers, just doing it, you know. Um, and it's, yeah, it's very uplifting. I love it. Yeah, so it's a song I probably, I don't know, maybe forget about. And then if it comes on a playlist, you know, I, I, I get a renewed sort of love for it. And I really like that sort of Beatles-esque, you know, where it goes into that there is no end section. Yes. And it's yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's got that Beatles feel to it. And even... Linda's voice, who I can sometimes feel maybe is a bit overpowering. I don't know, even that blend there, you can kind of hear her yes. in a nice way. <laughs> you, know, you know she's yeah, yeah. there, she's yeah, not overpowering, well. it just, it, it adds, yeah. It's a song he never played live, he's never played that one live, which is again an example of so many, there are so many like big key songs. And I know he was going to play it on the, the the Japan tour where he got busted for, yeah. it never happened. So there are there are some videos you can find online of him rehearsing it, but yeah, never played yeah. it live. And what a shame, because I would love to have seen, you know, that year, him belting that song out. It's amazing. Yeah, because that, that was a single um, off that album, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. London Town, yeah. Yeah, and it was a hit. You know, it was a hit. But he just never... Like, well, he wasn't gigging at the time, but yeah, he never played it live. But, you know, that's that's how good this man is. He's got loads of songs that, you know, he's never done. It's ridiculous. So the one that I didn't know until you sent them through is the next one, uh, if you want to introduce it. Yeah, My Soul. Uh, which is a song that he did with uh, Nitin Sawney. I long to know all your secrets I want to walk through your fire Light up With your smile I was awakened by magic I was alone in this world This is another one where you wouldn't play this one to people who say, oh, he can't sing anymore, though, can he? Because they go, oh, listen to him. He sounds like an older man. And you go, yeah, because he is an older man. But it's another example of using his voice as a tool to tell the story of the song. And the song is quite a sort of um, 
honest expression of love. It's again around the time I think it's when he's breaking up with Heather. But it's funny of all the of all people when I, I was in Camden once for launch of the Camden Fringe and um, Paul Heaton was there. You know the front man of the Beautiful South. Um, yeah. And I, I got talking to him and, and inevitably when you I think when I talk to musicians I bring up the Macca thing and he's not yeah. really a fan which I found quite surprising considering some of his stuff. Um, but yeah. he, but he really signposted this one. He said, oh, I like it because he said, I feel like he doesn't um, show himself very much. Whereas in this one, I thought he was really showing himself, you know, being honest. And yeah, and he does. And then, and then also when in the outro, when it sort of picks up a gear, there's just a little um, interval he sings on the word yeah or something. And, when, and again, it's another one of those ones when I heard it the first time, I went, yep, he's still there, still got it. Just something about it that just, you know lands very well he's yeah i don't know have you seen um the um i haven't seen the whole film but uh, i forget what it's called now the film that dave grohl did about his studio and when he did the thing where much of the remaining members of nirvana and and macca did a thing together and there's it's worth watching it online the film because dave grohl loves mccartney they're very good friends and stuff yeah is that where he's like he did drums or something for them did he no this is oh he did that as well yeah but it was one where that he fronted a, a song where he's on his like um box guitar this is Macca and okay. was, they did it for some charity benefit in America and it's very like um you know the Feynman song nothing too much is out of sight it's very much like that sort of yeah yeah thing. Um, and there's a bit where there's so a really good song they did and Macca's really belting it out and there's a bit when they're recording the backing vocals and I think it's Dave Grohl says to him you know um uh, it's a shame it's not you know it's not always this easy and Macca goes well, well it is and yeah <laughs> you know and it's yeah, like yeah and it, it's, it's not it's not like he's being smug or anything, but they, they they are really, you know, they're all excited about the fact that he's there. And it's just a lovely expression of the part of him, which is like my soul, where he probably went into that studio for an afternoon, finished off the song, recorded it, went off some other way. And it's just great. And it's, a, yeah, it's yeah, a very just did honest. It. Yeah, and he's, I like song, that I his voice, you know, he's trying something different. It's sort of on the break, isn't it? It's on the break of his voice. Sounds he, quite understated um, at the start. And I like that. He, he, yeah, it uses it to good effect in the song. You know, and the call and echo sort of vocal, the female vocal. It's a bit like the end of With a Little Luck, you know, isn't it? The yeah, it's just... Where... And then it just picks up, you know, memento at the he end. Sort of flexes his muscles a little bit and does what he does. And yeah, like, oh, it's nice. Yeah, he's still... yeah, I still got it. <laughs> and there's a funny thing, that when I was talking to, again, Neil Innes about this, cause, and, and he tells some great stories, because, I mean, he was in Magical Mystery Tour, for one, the film, so that's ridiculous. But he said when and when he was talking about him, when he did this gig, he said, you know, people forget that like Macca and the Beatles, they were really cool. He said when he first met him, you know, he was really cool. He was right at the height of his powers. And there was a um, apparently when they were doing the session when McCartney uh, produced it for them, and there was a woman in there who was being uh, who was quite sort of um, well to do, and Macca was playing the ukulele, and she said, oh, is that is that is that a is that a poor man's banjo there? And he said, no, it's a rich man's ukulele. <laughs> and it's just one of those moments of like, yeah, nailed it. That's what I mean. Yeah, he, he's cool. he's cool, but he just sort of he can disguise it with the mullet in the nineties. He can make himself look <laughs> less cool, but he's I don't know. He's prepared to be a little bit. I hate the word goofy, but he's prepared to do it like Ram, for example, as an album is yeah. derided at the time. And again, I think part of the reason Macca gets a hard press is because John particularly was very scathing at the end of the Beatles in press, yeah. and also. Macca was seen to be the one who broke up the Beatles because he had to lead the court case. And those two things, sadly, left a bit of a shadow on him for many, many years. And then obviously yeah. John died, it somehow like iconicized him as well, you know. So it's a shame because Ram is a very good album, but it's very sort of 
I don't know, sporadic as a thing. Yeah, love that album. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fantastic. Okay, so I guess that leads us on to this song needs no introduction. Yeah. There's no explanation needed <laughs> as to why yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a good song. It is just, well, in me, it evokes such an emotional response from the first sort of line to the end. Just a little piano riff at the beginning. One-handed piano riff. Yeah. yeah beautiful. Golden slumbers. One stores away to get back homeward. One stores away to get back home. Sleep pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Uh, yeah oh my god i think this sums up for me what he what he does for me personally and it's all summed up in the moment he sings the word home to get back home and yeah. it's oh that every time that gets me in the heart again it's just it's just i don't know and you know it's at the tail end of the beatles things are hard you know they're falling apart the friendships are sort of you know, they're, they're, it's just all falling apart. And yet there's songs like that, like Abbey Road. It's like the final sort of burst of sun showing that they, they still together mm-hmm. made magic. They really, really, truly did, you know. And yeah. um, and also it's just, yeah, it's the voice, it's the song, it's everything about it. It's so, and obviously, you know, you've got the lovely quiet bit and then you've got the way he belts it out. It's just, yeah. again, it's a rewind point when he sings the smile, smiles awake you when you rise, you know go back and hear that again <laughs> it's just yeah i yeah i love i love it and yeah the people say he's not honest people say he's insincere for god's sake listen to golden slumbers and then shut up that's, that's my opinion <laughs> you know, for god's sake listen to what he wrote it's amazing and it's so simple and again it's the you know it's yeah. the george martin production it's the strings and uh, do you, you know the story of golden slumbers how he wrote it uh, I don't think, I don't know. There was a score. I think he went to visit his dad and there was like a score on, on the piano for a song called Golden Slumbers, like an old traditional song. Yeah. And it had a line about smiles awake you when you rise or, or the lullaby bit. And because he couldn't read music, he yeah. thought, oh, I'll write what I think this song is. And, the, and then that <laughs> came out, you know. And it's, yeah, it's at a time when it was just so effortless. I mean, it's and it's, yeah. you know, yeah, it never, I, I must have heard that, you know, it's only about like a minute long. I must have heard that so many times in my life. It doesn't stop being affecting, and I don't think it ever will. And quite often when you go and see him live now, his final encore is he starts with that yeah. and he plays through to the end. And again, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just one of those moments where your heart just, I don't know, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful... Why do we not, you know, celebrate this more? I know we talk about how great the Beatles were. I know, you know, it's accepted that he's a talent, but why don't we just embrace these people more? I don't know. I don't understand why it's always about being a bit arch and a bit judgmental. It's such a shame. Yeah, and the sad thing, you know, God forbid, when he is no longer here, everyone is just going to yeah. <laughs> praise him as a national treasure, know, and you know, know, and you kind of think it's going to be, it's all going to come out then. Yeah. But you know, like you say, 
why not now? In years to come when it's sort of the line is blurred, because like with John Lennon, you know, I mean, John Lennon wasn't really very cool at the end in, in the public perception of him. But you no, know, he, uh, yeah. And that's the thing about, and I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, obviously John was great and his voice was great. But I do feel his voice in the 70s was really, even in Imagine, was not really there. Whereas mm. Macca's voice just kind of got better and better. Yeah, um, and, definitely. You know, that's the that's the hand you're drawn sometimes. You know, they they both had a lot of drugs. You know, John <laughs> was on heroin towards the end. You know, yeah. it's no wonder. When Macca was at his best, his voice was like an instrument that, like no other really, you know, that he absolutely knew how to use to best effect and can sing in a variety of styles comfortably and confidently. And just, yeah, that smiles awake you in your eyes. It's amazing. Just amazing, you know. It, it's oh, imagine imagine being in that studio as they were recording that. I don't know if you've seen like because I bought the Abbey Road fiftieth uh, anniversary thing or whatever it is. I, yeah. I discovered which you know I'm a you know obviously as you can tell by this Beatles obsessive no you know no sort of obsessed with the detail of it. But so much of Abbey Road was recorded live. You know, uh, yeah. most of the track of Golden Slumbers apart from the strings was recorded live and that's quite a shock really most of the vocal was the live vocal he did when he was recording it you know like that i just think that's mad you know that's a talent that can just do it you know because everyone yeah. else would go back and record go back and go back it. yeah he just did it once and went yep done that move on to the next thing <laughs> you know which i think is great wow well finally david well thanks for coming on it's been brilliant to chat Enjoy about so, about you yeah. and your work and the Beatles and Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah I've loved it. So I yeah, I started with asking a question I ask everyone and I usually finish with something similar to this. So um yeah, if you could go back and speak to your younger self, you choose the age, you choose where the DeLorean takes you back in time. Um uh, yeah. you know, what what would you say to your younger self, you know, knowing from a from a place of wisdom or knowing what you know now, do you think? Oh, that's, oh, that's a difficult one. Um, I've spent a lot of time because my childhood, um, in many ways, was quite difficult. Actually, that's quite an understatement. Really, it was it was very difficult, and I was an only child as well. So a lot of what I experienced, I experienced on my own. And funny enough, like listening again to the the previous podcast with Anne Marie and talking about how why you go into what you go into. I know that I went into a lot of the things that I do in my life, often for what might be a slightly misplaced and wrong reason. It was a coping mechanism out of a situation that I was in that has affected my mental health severely. But over time, what I've had to do is adjust my reason for doing what I do, but kind of in the sort of throes of it. You know, you don't have time to take like a couple of years out and go, what am, I, what am I doing? How do I rearrange this? So I was a performer like you and I'd gone out into this world, but I was uh, very sort of uh, um, fragile in a fragile place while doing all of this. And I had to adjust the reason. So now it's not about proving myself or making myself feel worthy of existing, let alone doing work, you know, that I do. So I suppose... If I could talk to that child there, I'd sort of say, I don't really know. I'd, I'd, it's such a sort of easy thing to say, but just say it will be okay. Yeah. You know, you'll get out of this situation. You'll go somewhere else. And, you know, silly little things like um, having Paul Daniels at the club and meeting him, uh, playing Paul McCartney in a show, which again, I was, you know, uh, my dad, speaking of, you know, dads, my dad took me to Liverpool and it was not long after my parents had divorced. And well, not divorced, it's split up at this point. 
and it was like i'll take david to liverpool because he loves the beatles and, <laughs> you know. and we went on the like the beatles story tour we did the magical mystery tour thing as well and i remember you know the, the bus going past the liverpool empire and them saying well you know and the beatles played there 10 times and you know i mean it's so ridiculous that i got to play paul mccartney in that theater <laughs> you know a few years later and, when, and my dad taking me there and that sort of thing I guess I'd say to myself, it'll be okay. The things that you do, they are good things. Do them, follow that path, but don't do it to make yourself to make yourself feel worthwhile, to feel worthy. Do it because you enjoy it. Understand that you are worthwhile. That no, there is no outside force that is judging you to say it's okay or not okay. It's just you know, and and yeah i don't know be true to your heart because the, the the closer i've got to being more honest in my work i think when i did a song i say my work sounds like ridiculous <laughs> uh, with, with the songs but also with the comedy like the show you came to see the closer i got to being truer the sort of more valuable it was for me and the, and the more i've learned and the more i've sort of um grown more comfortable with myself and it comes and goes i have days where you know all of the worst feelings come yeah. back but yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I'd probably say. And I mean, it's it's my next show that I do, which I was supposed to end with this year, but then it stopped happening. Yeah, is about my dad, uh, and it's called Good, good Grief, and it's going to be about, you know, that feeling. You know, the good grief, the the aspect of the fact that it's painful is because I loved him and because he was my biggest supporter throughout everything, and it would blow his mind. I know it would if he knew that I was going to do a show about him. (laughs) When I spoke, and I know we were talking about this before, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but like we both spoke at our own dad's funerals. And I told the story about the 30 year hernia. I, I, you know, I talked about how my dad, the the way he would swear, you know, all the time, (laughs) which people, he never swore in front of my wife, never swore in front of certain people. And I actually said this thing like, you know, think about, you know, the worst swear you can, which I said in in the church. Now, upgrade it one. That's what he would be saying, you know. But <laughs> there was a sense when I was doing that. of I know my dad who loved the comedy, who was always at the back of the room all the time, never never sort of attracting attention to himself. He'd, when the gig finished, he'd go off and he'd text me the following day and say he enjoyed it. I knew that I, I was performing to my dad then. And I, and I, know, I know he... A person who never really encouraged... Uh, looking at himself would I think I don't know it would mean a lot to him that I was talking about him and that's why that's what the next thing's going to be so so also saying as well as saying you know it'll be all right um you know you can enjoy yourself uh maybe the situation I was in there specifically with my other parent was in, was creating a thing that was very very negative maybe I should turn to my dad a bit more and and the love that he gave and you know uh, yeah that's so yeah that's is that an answer? Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I hope so. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, and then we go to the Wild West episode where we're like, you know, ZZ Top are playing and stuff. And then we get a bit <laughs> Biff, you know, like, yeah. People are very hard on Back to the Future 3. I quite like it, but there we go. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, second best of the trilogy. <laughs> do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree, yeah. The second one's just too much like Donald Trump, isn't it? You're like, oh, God, we're in that. Oh, we've got, yeah. we, we're in the wrong timeline. God. <laughs> that's true that's true yeah up there god no but, yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah that's what i'd say i think and also that i'm only 19 why must i worry so much you don't have to worry so much maybe that's the thing i'd say you know? yeah 
but then worrying also isn't a bad thing because if it makes you think about how you feel that's a good thing that makes sense. yeah yeah that's very true thank you very much david i can't thank believe you. we've been speaking for over two hours it's oh, flown sorry. by <laughs> no it's, it's been, made no, a whole it's been great thank you that one. but no i loved it um, yeah. i'll come back and waffle on some more sometime if you want definitely
Join me next time on Mouth Off when I interview MC, performer, speaker, mentor, businesswoman, writer, director, and host of the podcast, Clowning Around, Emma Stroud. When I was younger, I wanted to be really good at pretending. I wanted to be so good so that no one would know the real me. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.